Then simultaneously with that, we had a show by Nicholas Grafia in collaboration with Paris Projects Berlin, wherein we brought this um, black Asian American artist who lives. who lives in Dusseldorf into the Philippines. Um, and he's talking about the migrant experience. And it was, I mean, the show was so poetic and so beautiful. And it was the first time people were, were really confronted with this, with this brain drain. Because that's another thing. I mean, Philippines, we love art, but we, we are not confrontational at all. So to have an artist who's not even from here, like take up this very, very sensitive topic was just like mind blowing, right? Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. Live Arts look behind the scenes at how the global art market really works. I'm your host, Marion Maniker. This podcast is brought to you by Live Art, the global art marketplace that puts you in control. Download the Live Art app to get all of the most relevant art market information as well as access to exclusive private sales. Or visit us at liveart.io. Silverlands, the Manila Gallery founded by Issa Lorenzo 18 years ago and now run with her partner of 15 years, Rachel Rillo, recently opened a space in the heart of New York's Chelsea. How did two upstarts from Southeast Asia build a gallery program capable of spanning the globe? That's the subject of this podcast, as we learn about the collecting habits and interests of Southeast Asian clients and the growing institutional interest in Silverlands' artists. By expanding to New York, Silverlands is bringing the important idea of institutional support to the Asian market, where few museums of contemporary art exist. Issa and Rachel have a fascinating story. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Okay, Issa, Rachel, thank you for taking the time to do this podcast. No, thank you. Glad to be here. So you just opened a gallery. You have a gallery in Manila, Silver Lens, and you opened a outpost in New York City, actually in sort of the heart of Chelsea. I know because I waded through the opening night crowds on the sidewalk, and it was one of the most impressive sights I've seen in Chelsea in a while. And you then at the same time also were at the Armory Fair, and I know you attend a lot of uh, global art fairs. So I thought the best way to start is, could you just tell us a, a little bit of the history of the gallery? And then I'd love to talk more about how the sort of global art world you know, interacts with both your artists and your program. Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll I'll give you like the bare bones history. So I started Silverlands in 2004 in Manila, really as a photography gallery, because I started out as an artist working with photography. And that's how actually Rachel joined me because she's also an artist. So I started it in 2004, Rachel joined in 2007. However, having a photography gallery in Asia is not a good idea. Slightly foolish. Really. Yeah, I'll tell you why. <laughs> Asians are very, very wary of the reproducible image. So they don't like to buy editions. We realized, or I, I realized early on that in order for this gallery to survive, we needed to 
expand what we were showing to the rest of the contemporary arts. So that was in 2007 when we did this expansion and then it sort of, it grew and it grew. I mean, we went through, we sort of graduated through through different spaces. We got bigger and bigger. We took on more artists. We opened a space in Singapore for about four years, closed that, came back home. Built a bigger gallery. Built a bigger gallery, started working with artists outside of the Philippines, um, artists within the diaspora. And estates, we started working, yeah, started with, working estates. with estates. So that's, that's pretty much how it's grown. Um, we're very much a contemporary gallery. Our artists are all over the world. We just happen to have our home base in Manila. And over the pandemic, we realized that so much interest was coming from the U.S. You know, interest from curators and, and looking at our social media stats, we saw that 30% of all the viewership on our website and our social media was coming from the U.S. And we had no idea who these people were. Also because we were not doing any of the U.S. fairs. Yeah, or, we, we or, haven't done anything. Um, so actually the Armory... And the opening, this is the first time we've actually done anything in the U.S. in 15 years. So is your collector base primarily in Asia or you're just a note? So so it's primarily people in Southeast Asia coming to Manila, looking for the artists either that you were working with. And then through those connections, you brought in other artists who weren't necessarily in Southeast Asia. You were saying that they're global, but you know the core of your program are Southeast Asian art, art, artists, correct? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, the core of, I mean, our collector base is really, yeah, it's really here. We have been very fortunate that the market, the primary market is very, very strong. It's a combination of many factors. Uh, first is, I would say, at least in the Philippines, everybody loves art. We have a culture of collecting. We have a, yeah, we have a very deep culture of collecting. That's one. And second, price points are very, very attractive. So you don't need to be a millionaire to buy art. Um, there's, there's, I guess, I guess, like in the states, there's, there's art at many price ranges. Can we talk about that culture of collecting? I think that's kind of uh, fascinating. I mean, you know, I've watched the Asian art market from very far away for 20 years. And the the growth of kind of a, you know, at least through the auction side of it, a, a kind of pan-Asian group of artists who are all kind of the stars and the mainstays of that market. And they're they're from all over. Uh, has been interesting. And that really happened starting around 2007 or eight, and is very much the auctions are switched to actually uh, making paintings the center of their market rather than works of art, you know, objects in porcelain and, and so on. And, and there's such a broad range of artists. And now we see many more of the historical artists uh, becoming, you know, many of the Vietnamese uh, uh, painters, you know, a lot, a lot of these uh, very interesting artists, some of the, the Singaporean uh, artists, um, becoming more collected, but that's that's the secondary market. It's it's a it's a visible th thing, but it's not the same as really understanding how people collect. And I, I'm very interested to hear that you know there's a there is a culture, and that you're able to sort of tap into to that and provide enough of a base for your artists that it gets them going. And then it sounds like you then moved on to the art fair circuit, and were able to develop a broader audience. Correct. Yes. So the culture of collecting, okay, if you've, I don't know if you've come to the Philippines, but if you 
come into anyone's house, it's full of stuff. And I, when I mean stuff, it's stuff. Like people will have collections of spoons and of ashtrays and of, um, I don't know, just, yeah, jars, just stuff. Like little things. You know, people love to decorate. Adornment, really. Yeah. Um, I think it's a it's a sign of individuality. At the same time, it's a it's it's a sign of wealth, uh, aspirational almost. If I can have a lot of these things, that means I've done well for myself. This is another thing. Also, is I think in the Philippines there's patronage for artists and for the arts. So I, I think that both combinations sort of um, gave us a you know, a smorgasbord really of, of collectors and viewers. Um, and it was just um, a matter of time, uh, you know, putting up bigger galleries. Like we were, we were the first in Manila in, in the Philippines to have a proper gallery space. They used to be mall storefronts. So they were like small, you know, the, you know, you go through paintings yep. like this. Um, and so the, the experience of, of, of art, of, of, of the gallery of the white cube, I guess, to some degree was sort of our doing. Yeah. Yeah. So when we, when we started that, I just give you an idea how, how, how this has caught on. So in 2007, when we opened our first warehouse, sort of warehouse gallery space, we were the only gallery on that street. So it's sort of this, you know, this uh, industrial. industrial area, all warehouses, mostly storage and car shops. I mean, really ripe for galleries, right? And now on that street, there may be like 20 galleries. Well, once you build a market, people come, right, on both sides. The buyers come and then other people want to set up shop and everyone benefits from the sense of being together and having that kind of density. Yeah, so the culture of collecting, yeah. And also you have people here who multi-generational collectors. So yeah. if their grand grandparents collected, their parents collected, they will collect. Um, oftentimes a, a grandparent will gift a grandchild with an artwork to start off the collection and that sort of keeps, you know, gets it started. And again, um, the other thing is we've also sort of grown up with our artists and our collectors. So when we started the gallery in you know 2004, people people who were in college were coming and just visiting, and now I mean over time these people they get jobs and they have the spending power you know, and it's in the culture to collect so they do that. And the artists that you're working with, for lack of a better description, there there's much more of a mixed media approach to art it seems than just simply painting, right? And I don't know whether that's a combination of just uh, as we get into more conceptual art and people telling a, a, a lot of different uh, stories, or it's also working with craft traditions and turning them into uh, art practices. But there, there seems to be a lot more than just people with canvas and paint wanting to tell, you know, depict things. Yeah, so painting is, is definitely very popular here. Um, however, we feel that the more authentic practice has to do with artists who work across different materials. And this is because where we're from, our traditional art making is not painting. It's weaving, it's textile, it's pottery, pottery it's assemblage, it's ceramics. It's also a lot of like what we can access. Yeah. So it's a lot of like 
you know, found objects. junk and found objects. So just think like we are, we have our own version of Arte Povera, the Italian mm -hmm. movement here. Um, and if you look across Latin America and um, I would say even parts of Africa and the Middle East, a lot of artists, well, this, the, the, the global South, a lot of artists work with found objects and incorporate different traditional art making techniques into well th there's a parallel story here in the US i mean the the what what used to be called outsider art or folk art has now become mainstream contemporary art and the boundary has basically collapsed uh, uh and even when you talk to some of the people from the outsider art you know gallery world they'll say you know everyone sells contemporary art now based on the personality and life history of the artist we're the ones who invented that. The outsider artist was all about, let me tell you about this fascinating person and the objects that, that, that they make and why it's really art. And it sounds like that, that tradition already exists and is not that, that there was no boundary that needed to be broken down uh, in Southeast Asia. Very natural. And also, I mean, all these artists, they're very educated. They're not outsiders at all. They're, they're completely mainstream. But our, our culture allows for for this kind of very, very multimedia art to flourish. A lot of your artists are also working, telling stories about marginalization, uh, uh, the global economy. And I'm curious how that intersects with the, you know, collectors. Are they looking to tell those stories and represent them? Or is that a, a, a sort of slight of a byproduct? Like for some people it's, hey, let, you know, these are these cool things I, I have. It also happens to be this interesting artist who's telling a, a, a story. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can see how a lot of that, those artists being represented, especially in institutions in the West, there would be a great deal of interest and appeal for, for that. I'm curious how it works domestically, since that's sort of the core of how you, you're able to support your artists and, and stay in business and come here. So Marion, here in, in this part of the world, I would say, I mean, Southeast Asia and actually most of Asia, there's not a lot of institutional support. So all the buying is private. I would say 95% of the buying is, yeah. is private. So these artworks that are collected really enter into private collections here. And that's why we decided to expand to the U.S. because we felt that the museum culture and the critical, um, the criticality of exhibition making and, and sort of collecting is, is, is of a, I mean, it, it exists. And this is what we would like our artists to be able to have access to to enter these collections and to, to be able to participate in this, um, in a bigger conversation, especially when, if you look around all the major institutions in the US, especially on the West Coast and on the East Coast, you enter and all the people looking, all the visitors are all from all over the world. And so are the docents and so are the <laughs> security guards are there. 24 seven, you know, I, 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 yeah, I always find that a little yeah. silly. No, no, this is supposed to be the appeal of America. We're a universal nation. You're here, you're a citizen, you're an American. It doesn't matter. We, we seem to forget that sometimes, but that is the, uh, the appeal. But I, I guess what you, it sounds like what you're saying to me and this picks up what you said earlier, if you were the first sort of white cube in, uh, Southeast Asia, it sounds like you're also then taking the one of the important roles a gallery plays is institutional support for the artists. 
and uh, guiding a career so that there is significant institutional um, uh, representation, one for the artist's recognition, but also uh, for the uh, uh, market as well, if you're thinking of the uh, uh, collectors. Uh, so it sounds like that's not something that because there's not a lot of institutions in uh, uh, Asia that's done by galleries and you're sort of leading the way and saying, hey, if we've been doing this for 20 years, if we want to keep doing this, our artists need that kind of institutional uh, recognition uh, uh, across the board. And it and it has to be all over the world. Yes, absolutely. Yes, definitely. That's, that's the yeah. nail. That's the nail. Because there's no institutional support here. Everything is private sector. Everything. When it comes to you know exhibitions and, and 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 making things happen, we try as much as possible to support the artist and the institutions who actually do stuff. And support can come in many different ways. I mean, sometimes it's just talking about it. Sometimes we actually um, give some funding. Sometimes we partner up with them. We you know we we run full media campaigns. We collaborate a lot. Yeah, we with... collaborate a lot with both institutions and other galleries in, in in many places. So so would that be like having curators come and work on putting on shows in Chelsea that would combine, you know, as we just mentioned, there's commonalities, many of these artists that would, would put many of your artists in the context of other artists from around the world to tell these stories and get people to, to sort of become familiar with and, and make the connections. Yes, Correct. definitely. And and if the uh, the opening reception was any sign of support and need for for that kind of well, that's that that's the the kind of validation that that one needs, right? Is that you you think there's demand, but you don't know until people actually show up. Uh, is, is there anything in particular? I know that you did this aquifer show, which seems to be kind of a I don't know if it's a model, but like uh, some way to sort of describe what these shows in the future might look like. Yeah, so we've been, um, maybe the last three years, or throughout the pandemic, we've been doing about, I would say, two or three shows a year in Manila that bring back uh, or bring artists from outside in into Manila. And we, we sort of do these um, exhibitions that bring, you know, different voices together, local, local, I mean, artists who are from here, artists from our, who are outside. Um, oftentimes the artists already know each other, so it's not such a stretch. But like Aquifer was all about color. So we had three artists, three women artists, who work with sort of graphics and color, and we're, we're thinking about how everything is filtered, the way water would filter through different vessels. Mm -hmm. That was a super fun show. Yeah, that was fun, and that's fun. That was that was um, Jennifer Walford from uh, San Francisco. She's from the Bay Area. She's from San Francisco, and um, and then the two other artists, MMU and Dina Gadi, are from here. And simultaneously with that, we had a show by Nicolas Grafia in collaboration with Paris Projects Berlin, wherein we brought this um, Black Asian American artist. Who lives. who lives in Dusseldorf into the Philippines. Um, and he's talking about the migrant experience. And it was, I mean, the show was so poetic and so beautiful. And it was the first time people were, were really confronted with this, with this brain drain, um, that, mig that economic migration. Because um, that's another thing. I mean, Philippines, we love art, but we, we are not confrontational at all. 
So to have an artist who's not even from here, like take up this very, very sensitive topic, but from the point of view of a second generation, um, interracial. interracial or you know, person was just like mind blowing, right? What I'm excited about is that we're going to meet and work with a lot of people like this, wherein it's not so much about identity, maybe 15, 20 years ago, it was it was that it was about identity yeah. and say the outsider in America or the outsider in whatever city they're at. It's it's more about a gaze, a gaze from from a past that they don't know. Maybe uh, like for, for, an, for an example is Nicolas Grafia. A lot of his imagery comes from his mother, who's Filipina, and her you know her memories of fiestas and events when she was growing up but he's never seen these things so uh i I find it so so exciting it's almost a spaceship that never lands because there isn't a resolve there isn't like oh i found my identity and this is where i should be no it's none of that it's sort of like it's just fairy tale almost you know but it comes from somewhere very real and very deep and and very now well, it's interesting. I mean, we have it on both levels. We we have a large populations of migrants, both among people who are moving because they're working and they will go uh, somewhere and uh, uh, remit money back and maybe return after long periods. And then they end up with some sort of a syncretic experience because they've been living somewhere else with either, either these uh, somewhat traditions and then uh, uh, returning but or or assimilating where where they are but we also have this educated class especially uh, uh, over the last 20 30 years uh, among Asians who are traveling to the west to be educated and maybe work but they're also then moving back and so you've got people who have broad experiences across multiple you know cultures continents you know uh, ways of of seeing and experiencing uh, things and we're now getting the cultural expressions of uh, of those, whether it's it's as silly as, you know, movies like Crazy Rich Asians on one very far extreme or actually people with the objects and experiences and, and, and building from it or the imagery that they uh, they relate to. And I think that's what's interesting, just sort of looking through your Instagram and some of the ar- artists. It's not like the art is remote. I mean, each artist is specific, but there's many things that you can see. That's why the aquifers I thought was so in, in, interesting is the the artists look very uh, good together, right? It, it wasn't like you you were like, oh, this is the woman from the the U.S. and these are. I mean, the the the, the works were all um, uh, of a piece and, and connected, and and that certainly seems to be one of the things that the the global art world is doing is creating vocabularies that uh, uh, are shared. I mean, it's interesting to see some of the artists you work with who sort of work in a, more of a modern tradition, but using, you know, w- woven materials uh, uh, and all. So you get the, those mixes uh, as well. And so I, I just f- find this new layer of culture is a place where we're beginning to create some sort of a um, uh, almost an art history from the beginning, looking backwards rather than this idea that it moves uh, forwards. And you know, we have institutions in places like the Gulf states that are actively going around buying up things and telling their own sto- story. You know, it certainly sounds like collectors are making doing that on their own in a lot of different places in the world based on their interests. Yes. Correct. 
Exactly. Yeah, what's happening around the world is people are, you know, the more people see, the more people know. And with social media, um, the internet, everything is a little bit sort of, uh, like I, I, I think of everything as some sort of collage or assemblage. You know, like everything, how, how do I, how do you say that when it's all mixed? Everything's mixed. Yeah, so, and especially since, well, I don't know, you know, here um, in the Philippines, nobody is 100% Filipino. And I would, I would, I would dare to say the same for America. I mean, what does that mean, right? As I just said earlier, we're a universal nation, right? If, if you're, you're, the only thing that makes you an American is being here or being a citizen. Everyone's got some, you know. Yeah, so, so the art that's being made today reflects this diversity. And I mean, the pandemic and all of the issues that the U.S. has been dealing with, you know, um, Black Lives Matter, the hashtag Me Too, Asian hate that's going on now. These are all shining. I mean, this is this is happening because something has has been, you know, shook. shook. <laughs> and there and some and these need to be these need to come out. Back to the the collectors. Now that you've met them here in New York and uh, hung out with, with them, did you get an answer where where they all came from, how they discovered you? Um well, the ones that we've met um Hmm. I I really feel like it's a lot of um, just word of mouth uh, from people who have met us through the fairs somewhere in the world. But let me tell you, when we started, it was like, where where is the Philippines? I mean, like we were just like fish out of water. We were so fish out of water in many in many ways. For example, they knew we were from Asia, but then they looked at our names and we had Hispanic names. And then they looked at the art and it was more Mexican, you know, more, more Latin. Latin. Yeah. Um, and but then, you know, so there was a lot of confusion. Yeah, this was like 15 <laughs> years ago, which is why we never went back to the States. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's a sad story given the history of the United States and, and the Philippines that uh, that so few Americans are aware of the connection between the two countries and the connection with with, with Spain. Yeah, it's shocking. So, so I guess back to your question, our, our clients, um, you know, we have a handful of American clients, mostly institutional. The ones we've had for a while, we've met them through art fairs um, in Europe. This trip or this, you know, our opening, opening. Um, clients are from all over France, Mexico, yeah. clients from California, from LA, from San Francisco, uh, from Chicago. I mean, it's, it's, it's a mix. Uh, some, some knew us. Some had never known about us. Um, some were brought by other gallery friends who were introducing yeah. us to, to people they knew. Because that's, that's another thing. We have a huge network of, of gallery friends. I mean, we do so many collaborations um, around the world. I mean, just over the weekend, we were in Singapore because we opened a, gallery, a show at the gallery, at the gallery that we collaborate with. Um, next week, when we're in London, we have another collaboration going on. At any given time, we have maybe two or three shows opening. So, so has that been the response of smaller galleries to this kind of globalized art world where you have, a, you know, four or five 
uh, uh, large galleries with, you know, uh, six, eight, a dozen, 17, I think, in Gagosian's ca cases, uh, outlets. And then there's a couple who have, you know, three or four, and we're seeing more people open in places like, you know, Seoul and, and others. I get for you that, like, being in New York is a, a place where you basically everyone passes through there. So if you're going to have a second spot, that's the where, where it gives you a lot of leverage. But it sounds like long before you even took that leap, you said, oh, we can be, we, we, we can work together with all these other galleries and we can get some of that global reach to amplify our, our audience and and basically support them and they support us. Yeah. So we have partner galleries all over. I mean, name it, Taiwan, Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, Hong Kong, Korea, Japan, London, London. Tokyo, um, all of these guys, Paris. Um, so what we do is we do, we exchange shows. And or pick up an yeah. artist to, you know, to be part of a group show, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it really, that's something that there was a need for it. We needed to do that because there was not enough art fairs for us to join. Yeah. And, and, um, and financially it was, it was, it was it's a, a better, drain. it's a better, I mean, the fairs and yeah, the, an art fair only gives you access to traffic, right? It, uh, uh, working with another gallery gives you access to their relationships, which should be much stronger than just, you know, the traffic coming through a fair. Which is why I think um, when we announced that we were opening in New York, I mean, we were getting congratulatory messages from all over the world. It was so nice. Um, yeah. And all and all from galleries. Yeah. And um, and I think it's because they know that we are happy to be a gateway. I, I, that's the, the obvious question. And it sounds like if you're there, you have the space, you have the relationships, you can take those collaborations and move them to New York, which even further amplifies the network uh, that you have. Oh, that, but you know that, what, you know, collaborations like that, especially between commercial galleries, it's a lot of trust and respect. And I, I think um, I'm, you know, I'm pretty proud of, of, of how we sort of kept those relationships going. That's fantastic. You know, that's uh, uh, we're, we're slightly over time, so I'm going to stop it there. But that uh, that's one of the more promising things I've sort of heard. And it's so nice to know. I mean, I know that galleries work in, in partnership, often sharing artists, but it, it, it's gratifying to hear that there's sort of a, a, a couple of different ways to skin this cat, right, of, of have globalization without necessarily having the level of, you know, uh, investment and management involved in running multiple uh, locations. And and ways there are many ways to hold hands. <laughs> many ways to hold hands. And I'm going to give you the last word on that, Isa. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Marion. This was fun. See Marianne. you at the Thank gallery. <laughs>